Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Fashion Emergency Update. New fabric for 019. Okay. Felted wool. Ooh, love felted wool. This is the year of felted wool. Well, you heard it here first, and maybe yep. only, but certainly first. Also joining us, Director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. I'm literally wearing felted wool on my shoes right now. That's um, that's the when way When do you feel future. that hurts or strengthens your case? Uh, well, suddenly I am questioning it. but uh, You already said it, bro. I'm fashion forward now. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Right. You're More right. I mean, once it's out there, you know, you got to go with it. More on these fashion tips as they develop. Joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ for your church, Lee Younger. Nobody gave me any felted wool. I don't know what that means, and I don't know what m- most fabrics are. I'm not fully convinced that these aren't things that Glenn and Jed are making up to make Lee and I feel stupid. Well, you know what? We may never know. People listen to this podcast, first and foremost, for fashion advice, as I understand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's true of most, most places people go for spiritual advice. They really want to combo fashion advice, spiritual advice. Yeah. And you know what? We get the cutting edge information. Sure. I put the feelers out there and it comes back and then I just report. Yeah, it's it's Milan, it's New York, it's Paris. Yeah. It's this basement in the outskirts <laughs> of Chicago. Mm-hmm. These are the epicenters of fashion the world over. That's right. I think meanwhile I'm wearing a field jacket I got at Old Navy like four years ago. Oh, that was a good year for field jackets. It's got a <laughs> it's got a couple of bleach spots on it. We're still we're still rocking and rolling. But you wear it well, sir. That's the thing that matters. Doffing my cap. Yes. That that's a wool that's unfelted. That's it's right. so unfelted that it's cotton, is that <laughs> wool. Right. But we can speak no more of such fashiony things, for I have to declare an emergency. Is it a fashion emergency? It is very much, well, it could be. Oh, okay. It's a jerky emergency. Well, Ooh, I'm interested And now. depending on how avant-garde you feel like being, <laughs> that could overlap <laughs> with the fashion. It co- we have a package that came in to the Say That World headquarters, P.O. Box 316, Forest Park, Illinois, 600. One three zero. This is no mere normal package. First of all, it emanates from the nation of Norway. Ooh, our friend Jacob sent us reindeer jerky. Yeah, but that is not the end of how very well Superfan Jacob did on this. He sent us jerky. He also sent a note, typed out on A two paper in a very normal default font, which I just enjoy in every level. Yes. It says this, greetings from Norway slash Sweden. As I understand it, Jacob was originally from Sweden, now resides in Norway. Okay. So it's what you call a Scandinavian twofer. I'll allow it. And he follows, and it's important, we haven't brought this up in a while, speaking of innovations for this podcast, he follows the Jed Brewer say something nice and get out formula. Okay. Okay. And every, every entry is numbered, thusly. Okay. One, thanks for a great podcast. It's blessed me on many occasions, and through that, also my family. Cool. Number one, said a nice thing. Yes. Two, here's some reindeer. This is in parentheses. This is awesome. I guess I'll have to walk to work now. Uh, (laughs) Yes. And some free Ikea because he has included one extra Ikea Allen wrench. Yes. That is step two of the Jed Brewer say something nice in a non-creepy way method. Right. Give something of monetary value. Yep. And then three, singularly the word buy. Yep. Yep. That's the key. 
to the Jed Brewer. Patton did say something nice about being creepy method. Is the dismount? Yep. Get, get, see, <laughs> give us maybe another example because the holidays are coming up. That's People absolutely. You see someone, Jed? Let's a scenario, if you will. Hi, Richard. I like your shirt. Here is a dollar. Goodbye. There you go. That'll get you through many interactions at your office Christmas party. Right. Just carry around a bag of nickels. <laughs> yep. Yep. Hi, Jan. Nice brooch. Have a nickel. Bye. That's right. The people, people, it's over before they dislike you. And that's the best part of it. There's nothing to be against. Right. It is a nice brooch. Yep. I'd rather have a nickel than not a nickel. Right. Yep. That didn't last long enough to be unpleasant. Right. And here's the key of any uh, good off Christmas party. You're not going to be the story. That's right. <laughs> They're going to yeah, be so-and-so right. fell into the punch yeah. bowl and they were yeah. off on the side. Be like, was Jed handing out nickels? Well, yeah, but he said he liked my shirt, so that's fine. Yeah. yeah that's and then right. they skip on to the next thing. It, my interaction with Jed was completely lovely. Absolutely. As but, was our interaction with superfan Jacob. Uh-huh. Here, here's what I'm saying. We have the be- I put this on the social media. This podcast has the best superfans. No doubt. That's right. Any podcast. Because, look, I mean, we're getting reindeer jerky. I'm holding it in my hands Absolutely. right now. Now, um... Uh, Jed has prepared, uh, and he spent all week memorizing, of course, a phrase in Norwegian to thank Jacob for the reindeer jerky that he sent along. So, would you like to say your message now, Jed? Jacob, to you and your family, thank Yorkin. <laughs> that is not as offensive as I feared it was going to be. I was, I was a little worried myself. I was expecting the full Swedish chef right now, there. Now, well, I was trying to cue it up. <laughs> and but I think we all respect the restraint. Now, is York in some form of Nordic deity that you're thinking? Uh, we want to keep it uh, theologically sound here. Jeff. Absolutely. I don't believe we're going back to the old gods there, uh-huh. but I'm not enough of a scholar to be able to speak authoritatively on these matters. Right. So, well, okay. So uh, here's the thing. Um, uh, we received the reindeer jerky possibly contravening a number of import <laughs> laws for just... I think that's a safe bet. ...unregulated meat, etc. <laughs> well, you say that, but I have the uh, the package here in front of yeah. me, and when you send something internationally, obviously you have to declare for the customs form. And uh, here's what it says. <laughs> Gift, reindeer, comma, dried, colon, one. Wow. Wow. Allen key, colon, one. Wow. And here's what I think we've all learned. It's an important lesson. I want us to, to remember that. They don't ask a lot of questions in Norway. Yeah, that's, that's Cause not, really... Because no one looked at... Because it's like, you know, it's your normal 13 by 9 uh, yeah. pa- low package. No one looked at that and said, and reindeer comma dried. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. They just said, sure, stamp and put it in the mail <laughs> like they to these United States. Like a reindeer decoration or sure. something. Yeah. Okay, so we're dealing with a number of things. All of the writing on this is in, I assume, Norwegian. Okay. Uh, it, it it has uh, 1957 printed on the front of it. Right. Okay. I'm assuming that wasn't the year this was made. That's some old jerky. Uh, the other thing is the, mm-hmm. on the vintage. On the back, it says, uh, and I may be pers- mispronouncing this. I can't imagine so. Cooking's tips. Yeah. Which I think might be helpful hints on how to cook it. Sure. Um, Those Norwegians have a word for everything. uh, So there may be, like, if you don't do this, you'll die of food poisoning type of tips. But it's in Norwegian, so we have no way of knowing what that is. But I think 
it would be great because people send food in not just to thank us, but right. because they're looking for our food, uh, you know what I mean, reviews right, of the foods of their countries. It's decidedly untrue. Whether we approve of their countries or not. <laughs> nope, no one on wants to listen to chewing. That's not a thing. So I'm thinking it would be great to review this completely unrefrigerated <laughs> reindeer meat <laughs> on the air. That they, uh, they, welcome they, to the final episode of the Say That Podcast. You say to yourself, who, who would eat that? Well, his name's Jed Brewer. Sure. So when, I say... When you read the obituaries, not for this show, but for the host thereof, that's good audio. Thank you for that. Um, Holy there. That's it funny. will say of both Glenn and Jed, they died as they lived. <laughs> eating meats they shouldn't have been eating. I'm getting a whiff of it now. Yes, any other... So we've got the visual and the taste and the smell. It, it's, it's an audio medium. There's only one sense <laughs> so, that the audience can pick up on. Matt, Disgust. you can... You could probably give us a an up or down on this, but if the reindeer that this was made out of was uh, was dried in 1957, is that sure. one of the actual reindeer from the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer movie? It's, well, I'm looking at this, and it's possible this is made of claymation. Right. This is what I'm saying. Is this I, a claymation reindeer jerky from the original Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer with Burl Ives? Almost no doubt. This might be Burl Ives jerky. We don't know. <laughs> There's a little bit of Burl in every bite. All right. Well, so unfortunately, Lee isn't going to be able to partake. I don't think that's going to turn out to be unfortunate for Lee as this goes down. And I think what we have here is a bit more of a reindeer sausage than a reindeer jerky. Oh, good. It's not even dried. That'll be good for international. Well, Jed's taking a bite. But. <laughs> For the four of you who haven't been smashing that skip 15 seconds ahead button for this entire bit, <laughs> we thank you for your loyalty. Um, next week on Three Middle-Aged White Men Eat, <laughs> it's going to really be groundbreaking audio. That's actually really good. Well, that's not funny. Yeah, no, there's, it's like, there's, a, there's a sweetness to it. Obviously, it's very savory because it's a cured sausage, but there's a nice sweetness to it. There's almost a nuttiness to it. That's that's a really nice sausage. You know, I'm getting, it's like an explosion of Christmas in my mouth. That's what I'm talking about. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it tastes like sausage. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Not funny, but true. Yeah. No, it's good sausage, dude. Well, there, there you have it. Yeah. Um, now, if people are listening to this wherever they are. They're not. Not anymore. <laughs> and, and they're wondering, like... Um, if I see a reindeer, should I kill it and eat it? Well, you know what? If you want to. They're, they're delicious, it turns out. so. If you see one in the wild, well, don't go okay. to your nearest Santa's village. Well, you know. That's... With a bow and arrow <laughs> and your jerky-making kit. I mean, well, let me tell you what. Uh, if that uh, reindeer has been you know, flogged into submission, it might be pre-tenderized. Oh, my so. word. <laughs> Glenn, I'm not sure your understanding of how sausage gets made. <laughs> either literally or metaphorically in this sense, is entirely accurate. Well, I think this 1957 uh, reindeer jerky is delicious. Yeah, I agree. That's really good. There's there's probably no chance that we've just poisoned ourselves. Well, no more than you're eating your average meal in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. I mean, living in this town is pretty much an ongoing experiment in how much poisoning of yourself you can do. That's right. Particularly in the winter. There's a lot of, uh, hey, you want to not feel? <laughs> Come on in and scarf down some of this. 
Well, you know, but this is the important thing, fellas. We got we got to focus on the important things. Norway has gotten on the board. Oh, oh yeah, you know dude. I mean? right. Norway's they, up in clearly, this, man. Clearly. They have said, "Here's here's what's up." Because I think I speak for all the other fellas, we have a sense that there's only a matter of time before we're deported. Sure, I think it's safe bet. Sure. Uh, you know, or we're traded uh, for a uh, you and know. unlike a lot of deportations going on in the world right now, that would be totally justified. Yeah. Yeah. Someone said, hey, you three, you three characters, we feel like we're all better off if you don't live here. We're not going to fight you on that. That's right. We, we want all the countries listening to this podcast to compete for who gets us. Right. This is an extremely strong showing here. Oh, yeah. Oh, and sure. I have to say, one of our first in a while showings from the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. You know, that's true. Um, you know, because uh, Australia got in there really strong. New Zealand, well, New Zealand, the Philippines. Philippines have been very strong. Not a monetary, but we've really had some contributions from our friends in Sri Lanka. Yes, big yes. time recently. So uh, you know, so if it sounds like we're asking people in Europe to send baked goods, what I mean it, is that accurate in any way? I mean, that is one hundred percent accurate. This does remind me of to pull back the curtain a second. A conversation we had, and you, you, if you listen to the show, you've heard about a month ago. We talked to some uh, some of our wonderful friends from Toronto. Yes, who came and uh, were actually stayed with Glenn and Jane for a couple of days as they were doing some uh, some ministry training and some meeting some folks. And uh, here's a conversation that I walked in on was. Them, Jane explaining to them, Glenn's wife Jane explaining to them how much we whine about people never sending us stuff versus the totally absurd volume of stuff we get sent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but here's the thing: we 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 want to be showered with affection and baked goods, obviously. Of course. Uh, so we inc- flop the order on that. Yeah, we encourage that. I mean, Look, we, we we want it to you, happen. When you think about the bracketology of of shipped foods, mm. you know, it the reindeer, reindeer jerky is a strong showing, but pastry, eh, it's going to yeah. take it for me. Here's you know, what I'm so, saying. If you want to go for a judging rubric here in the world of, uh, you know, the great say that bake off, if you will. Here's what we like about the reindeer jerky. Other than it's delicious. Because everything we've ever been sent is delicious. Absolutely. Right. But local flair. Yes. Uh-huh. So our right. friends from Australia sending the Tim Tams. Awesome. That's yes. Australia. Fantastic. Is it right. Norway. You're not going to get reindeer jerky in these United States. Nope. Right. Well, not not above board anyway. Yeah, not legally. I mean, you can get it. Oh, you But you got to go to Missouri. <laughs> you got a guy. Yeah. I got a guy that can get you. You got a guy. He's got nine fingers and knows how to get some reindeer <laughs> sausage right. going. But you can just buy it in the store, apparently, in Norway. So yeah. we appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, lo- local flair counts for a lot, I would say. Yes. Yeah. No, like uh, whichever animal is the most beloved in your country, <laughs> send us its meat. Slay that animal. <laughs> Slay the animal and send us its Dry meat. Dry its meat. We will eat it. And it's, Wow. It's like we have the whole world inside of us. <laughs> That's, that's well, on that note, we're going to very hurriedly declare emergency off. Yeah, I don't. I, I, you know, I expected that to crash land somewhere. We, it's like we have the whole world inside of us. I don't yeah. think it was. Like, Please uh, don't murder a bald eagle and send its hide to Glenn. Well, I'll eat a bald eat. eagle. I, I'll I eat a bald eagle will. right that's now. Why I don't boy. want it sent to us. Yeah. That would be a bad thing. And. Really, 
lead that if you want to get deported and on the quick. Right. He is charged with devouring a bald eagle. <laughs> raw. Attention listeners, <laughs> Matt has been winking this entire time. That's he wants right, the eagle. Right. I'm just saying, I was with friend of the show, uh, Joe and Jacob, when I was down there chasing us, and he noted that there there's apparently a bald eagle's nest near Oak Ridge. Hello. So, you know, if you got a pellet gun and a food, you know, dehumidifier, we, maybe. Let me tell you what, if I have to settle for scrambled egg, bald eagle egg. Okay. You <laughs> I, can, I can work with an, that. An eagle omelet, if you will. Yeah, like, an, yeah. like an eagle quiche. Yeah. Mm, tastes like freedom. There you go. Yep. Okay, we're going to move on ever so quickly to Bridgebox, which is a thing that we, again, I can't stress this enough, so I have to do the Bridgebox. We think carefully before we put those things out. It's yes, we do. Many, many layers of editing and some time to sit around and get songs and sermons and Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff to fuel your walk. We're here in the month of December. We're talking about... Praying in the right way, praying in a healthy way, looking at prayer life. So if you sign up at missionusa.com slash bridgebox, you have only $8 a month. You find out, you get some uh, some songs from Lee, from Jed, from some other friends. You get sermons from Glenn and myself, all sorts of good stuff. A great way for folks who are blessed by the podcast. If you can't send in the carcass of beloved animals of your land, <laughs> uh-huh. you can just, just as easily go to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. And it doesn't show as much hustle, but we appreciate it as well. Sure. And you can sign up for Bridgebox. Check that out, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're going to go to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us. You can also now scroll down through the episode description on your podcatcher of choice, and there's ways to, uh, you can just click on the link to send us an email or something. I figured, I realized we could do that after publishing some 340 episodes. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Just occurred to me, we're all still learning. Our first question comes in anonymously, and it says, I'm curious as to the distinction you've made between Christianity as something that you learn versus something that you do. Don't both necessarily involve the other to some degree. And a little backstory on this very excellent question. We recently uh, reposted an older blog of Glenn's where he was talking about uh, some material he had presented to a college group around, around the Chicago area about the idea of Christianity as something that you do, something that you are active in as opposed to merely a, uh, a kind of educational uh, knowledge pursuit. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the, um, the, the person that's asking a little bit about the, uh, the relationship between those two things. And Glenn, as it was your post, I will ask you to kick us off. Well, on one level, you're absolutely right that um, we learn about the faith and then you act on that faith. Uh, th- if you don't know what Christianity is, it's hard to live life as a Christian. So from that perspective, absolutely learning and living it go hand in hand. But what we're really talking about is the difference between studying Christianity in an academic sense and learning about what it, what it really means, what it's, is its essence. And we learn through uh, when, what we read in the Word, but we also learn from other people explaining how to apply that Word to our lives. So that's wise counsel, that's a good pastor, a good mentor, that sort of thing. And we learn about how to live this life by listening to God himself in prayer. So through all of those things, we are learning. Uh, and you're, So on that level, yes, exactly, you are right. But what the, the, the distinction that I'm drawing there is the difference between simple head knowledge, that is, 
having an aptitude about what Christianity is and what it believes doesn't inherently move you forward spiritually, and it doesn't make you a Christian, it doesn't make you a better Christian if you already are one. Uh, the Bible says faith without works is dead, um, and I think that's uh, pretty ironclad. The, the language is very clear. We have many ways to work our way around that. We, we aren't saved by those works. That much is for sure true. So if you want to find a, a, a another fact that uh, appears to mitigate that, then that would be it. Uh, but learning, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. But learning without faith isn't anything. That's that's not that's not. There's no Christianity at all in that. But we do sometimes appear to fi- find an inherent spiritual value in I know X number of Bible facts, and I don't know that I follow that at all. Um, uh, uh, when Jane and I were dating. Uh, and thinking about getting married, uh, she asked me one of those zinger questions, you mm. know, like, how we're going to find out how good you are at your whatever. Could God microwave a burrito so hot, even he couldn't eat it? This, this kind of zinger. Go! Thank you, sophomore Nietzsche fan in my Young Life Bible study. <laughs> I mean, you gotta you gotta appreciate the hustle. I mean, it could have gone with any other burritos. The right, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. No, it shows flair. Absolutely like right. Uh, so the, here's she zings me with this. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Where do you see yourself ten years from now? <laughs> Where do you see yourself at the end of your life? And I took about three and a half milliseconds to think about it, and I said, "Well, look." I'm going to have the same goals uh, now and at whatever point in the future. They are only three. I can list them out for you now. Thing one is my goal, and this applies today, is to listen to the Lord. Number two is to do what he says. And number three is to try and like it. Those are my only three goals. I don't have any other goals. Uh, If I set a goal that doesn't involve listening to the Lord and just doing whatever I want to do, then I don't know why you would want to marry into that, but I'm just going to try and let him call the shots. Uh, I'm, you know, listening to the Lord means, as I'm saying before, uh, what he says through scripture, what he says to us through a wise counsel, good mentoring, good pastoring, and then what he says to us in prayer. And when the Lord speaks to us uh, during that prayer time, uh, I, so if you hear it and you know what you need to do, then it's about figuring out how to do that. That often invi- involves getting wisdom, uh, that involves getting uh, strength and patience and whatever you need to get that mission accomplished. And then trying to like it is, if you don't really like this idea, you're going to end up sabotaging it. You're going to end up uh, finding a way to not follow through with it. So that's, that's, that's why those three goals exist. Uh, but that involves a gaining of wisdom element that this person is asking about. It involves acting on that wisdom as well. And it's about uh, trying to have our attitude be that of of Christ Jesus and and working uh, it in that way. So yes, you're absolutely right. All those things do go together, but we're not, I'm not putting academic knowledge anywhere in those goals. Absolutely. I think it's a great place to start off. And Chad, I'd love to go to you here. I think Glenn makes an important distinction that it's good for us to totally line out, which is we're not talking about salvation. Salvation is something that happens totally independent of your action. It is something that is based on just accepting something. 
we may point out to our more academically inclined brethren, it's accepting an incredibly simple thing that a child can understand. That is the point. But uh, we're here we're talking about growing in the Lord. We're talking about living out the life that God has for you. Yeah. So where do we go from there on this difference between there's what you know, yeah. which is fine. We're actually sure. not discounting knowledge. As Glenn points out, you're going to have a, a healthy life should have both of these. But in a certain proportion, yep. where maybe what we normally see lionized is leaning a little too much towards the knowing and not so much towards the doing. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, so often with Christian cultural stuff, we get into trouble because kind of rules and norms that would apply literally anywhere else in life, we don't apply the moment it's something spiritual, which is an odd dynamic. I'll give an example of what I mean. Um, if somebody told you that they love to read cookbooks but they never actually prepare food, A, you'd say that's a little weird, and B, you'd say, well, you're not much of a chef then. I mean, your hobby is whatever your hobby is, but a chef is somebody who makes food. I mean, you might read cookbooks as a part of that, but you seem to be missing a key piece of the equation, right? Similarly, a pilot is somebody who flies jets. It's not a somebody who thinks jets are cool. These are two different things. One is a jet aficionado, which is great, the other is a pilot. The The doing is a super important distinction. And again, we know that we don't need that uh, expressed really in any other field of life. But when it comes to spiritual stuff, we it's pretty easy to lose our bearings um, and, and be unsure. So let's look at something that the Bible says. Uh, this comes from the book of James in the first chapter. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans excuse me, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Yeah, orphans are on their own. Orphans can, they can look out for themselves. But for orphans, to look out for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All that's active stuff. All of it. Looking out for orphans, looking out for widows, keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. Those are active things. Those are things that you do. In other words, the Bible is saying that the living out of the Christian religion has an active component to it, has things that you do. The living out of being a pilot is piloting an aircraft. The, the living out of being a chef is preparing food. Um, it's not exactly that you're a bad pilot if you don't really ever fly planes. It's just you're missing a key component of, of kind of the identity. And the other thing that almost always gets forgotten, but I think it's so important, is you're missing out on the fun. You're missing out on the adventure that God wants you to go on and so much of the joy that I think God wants you in your own life to experience. Some people like academic study. Some people don't. That's fine. But God has an adventure for you to go on. God has things for you to do. When it talks about looking out, looking after orphans and widows in their distress, it's actually a lot of what we as an organization do. And... um Yes, we do it because what God, it's what God's calling us to do, and yes, we do it because it's what's in the Bible, but we also do it because we have a blast doing it. It's, it's incredibly rewarding. It's incredibly fun. It's, it, it's good. It's like really, really good. I bet that for a lot of people who are pilots, they're pilots in part because like, this is awesome. I love piloting this vehicle that goes hundreds of miles an hour. It's amazing. It's super, super cool. No, I just love calculating lift. Yeah, I know there may be it, but that's that's a different thing. That's Bernoulli an engineer stuff, man. That's that's the real deal. Drag coefficients, man. <laughs> I got that tattooed on my bicep. Drag coefficient for life. <laughs> this is the key thing: is it'd be easy, you know, if you if you weren't paying attention, it'd be easy to to wonder, you know, 
Are you guys knocking on me? Are you guys? No, we don't want you to miss out. There's so much fun and so much adventure that God wants you to have, that we want you to have, and that would bless other people in the process. A certain, we all need to learn, a certain amount of academic study is a good thing, is fine, but we don't want you to miss out on getting into the cockpit of that jet and taking off and feeling those G-forces, just the Jesus-y version of that. The Jesus forces, if you will. Yes. All for a pretty good Saturday morning cartoon that I would pretty much watch. So Lee, I'd love to get you close out here. There's, there's an, there's an aspect of this we haven't quite touched on yet. And uh, by way of getting into that, I will read from the book of first Corinthians eight verse one, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Oh, cause one of the things about, as, as Jed's pointing out, there's a cultural uh, tinge in Christian stuff toward uh, knowing a lot of Bible, being very well-spoken, very erudite, knowing lots of ideas may point out that all the people making money off that are people who've not demonstrably ever done anything, but that's really neither here nor there. But one of the, I think one of the things where people get pulled into a um, more head knowledge than actions these guys are talking about is the idea that that will be impressive and impressive is good. Yeah. I, one of the, the, the interesting thing about this is that Jesus called people to follow him. And he never said that that relationship was going to expire or that you were going to graduate from that to a place where you're not a student anymore. The, this whole relationship, the entire time, is going to be a teacher-disciple or teacher-student relationship. He calls people to follow him because he's the teacher and we're the students. Okay, so one thing that that means is, as I follow him, um, I should be... Uh, as I grow in following him, I should be more aware of my own uh, weakness, dependence, and that should increase my humility. I am more dependent on my teacher today than I was when I started this journey. I'm more dependent on Jesus's wisdom and Jesus's help today than when I first began to follow him. The problem with what we're talking about on the other side of this, when um, when you know, my if my whole Christian life is about the stuff that I know is I'm kind of the guy that people come to. Um, if the point is how much you know and how much you study, uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of everybody's answer man, or I'm kind of the guy that has the wisdom now. Um, I'm kind of collecting my own disciples at this point, and I kind of decide who's right and who's wrong. Uh, I was talking to a friend recently who was, I guess they were at, I, they were at like, they were at some restaurant and there were a bunch of people there from some Christian conference or something like that that was in their town. And there were these people that were arguing back and forth in this, in this, uh, the line of this restaurant about, you know, some little, you know, some little, uh, nonsense thing about Abraham or some, just some kind of thing that Christians argue about, even though the new Testament clearly says, do not quarrel about words. Um, and they were arguing about this thing. And my friend was just sitting there thinking like, this is such a, this is such an odious thing that there's this argument is breaking out. It's this, you're like, you're getting heated. You're trying to one up each other when the whole goal is that we're supposed to be um, the, the followers of Jesus who walk with Jesus in humility and weakness and dependence that we serve people. And exactly as Jed's saying, it is the thrill of a lifetime and it's an adventure and all that stuff, but also 
I I realize my own need and I realize my own weakness and I realize my own dependence on my teacher. That's what following is about. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 says that that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. When I'm loving other people, I'm out there following Jesus on the you know, the edge or the frontier of the kingdom of God. I need him then. I'm not telling anybody how awesome I am. I'm not proving how cool I am or anything like that. I'm not collecting a bunch of people around me to tell me that I'm the man. I want to serve other people. And that's where the thrill of the lifetime is. That's the the G-forces that Jed's talking about. The thing that's fulfilling to the soul is to be in partnership with Christ in weakness and humility and dependence, following him, carrying out this, this uh, higher version of myself um, th- that, that he's calling me to. And it's not this version of me that's, that's arrogant and that has all the answers and is ready to argue with somebody. It's a version of me that's, that's happy to take the backseat, that's happy to serve, that's, that's happy to provide for somebody else. If you find yourself doing something like prison ministry, nobody's going to know what you do. Nobody's going to see how cool that was. Nobody's going to report about it, and you can't post any pictures of it anywhere. But it is the thrill of a lifetime. And that's what we want to figure out is learning to serve in humility, weakness, and dependence. Not to be the answer man, not to be the coolest, not to be the most puffed up, but to be somebody who loves and serves, even if it's something that nobody else sees. It's a really great point. And just to piggyback off what, what Lee is saying there, uh, the, kind of one of the number one anxieties I, and I think I can speak to the other guys on the show here, here when someone is talking about uh, volunteering, be that with us, be that with another ministry, be like the idea, is this idea of, well, what if someone asks a Bible question and I have no idea? And just the anxiety of, does it all fall apart in that moment? I would feel like a fraud. They would kind of see me as a fraud, and I would have to go live in a yurt somewhere away from society. Uh, to, to Lee's point about prison ministry, I was at with our friend Pete at Cook County Jail earlier today. Here was a question that came up as we were, thought we were wrapping up and taking prayer requests, and this extended the meeting a good little bit. Said, well, I'm struggling because my brother died, and I want to know why God let him die. Why did that happen? Right. Why did it happen, Matt? Here's the thing. Answer. <laughs> and, and I will quote, I don't know. Right. That's and anyone who gave more of an I you know, I could have read Augustine on suffering and read, you know, this uh-huh. on the grief and on the what and there's still no answer there. That's right. right. There's a lot of words about really nothing. Right. Now, what we did is we got into, well, here's instances in my life where I've had questions and here's how we go to the Lord about that, and here's what you can learn. But all that was predicated on Pete and I hauled our crusty butts down here in the cold in this place that has no heating where we aren't allowed to bring in our jackets and we're sitting here talking to you. Right. So let's get into it. That buys almost infinite goodwill. Yeah. If there is an answer, as there often are, I don't know an answer to a lot of bio questions. You can say, I'm not sure. I think there's something in there about this. And I don't remember. I remember the words. I don't remember the chapter and verse. So let's put a pin in that and I'll bring it next week and write it down. That's fine. Sure. I've yeah. never, I've done that a lot. Yeah. I have a pretty bad memory have, for that yeah. stuff. I've never had anyone begrudge me that. Yeah, I know. Um, so again, that's, that's another part of kind of as, as these, all these guys are talking about, about getting out there, about doing it, about having that experience is if you, there's a line in the uh, hymn, Come You Sinners, which is about something else where it really positive. this is, if you tarry till you're better, 
you will never come at all. Yeah. And that's true of a lot of stuff in the Christian life. If you said, wait, I will wait until I feel a hundred percent prepared for this to go do anything. That always leads to never doing anything. If you have a little bit of, as we would call it, that, that pioneer spirit of I've, I've prayed and I've gotten a leading and I think this would be a cool thing. So I'm going to go out and try it and let that inform, let the doing inform the, what I need to know, as opposed to, we haven't criticized seminary yet, so let me be the one to do that. Mm. This idea of I, I will spend three years, which I can afford to spend on top of my four years of undergrad. This may be leading to a lot of the problems we have in the modern church with who we let be a pastor, but that's really neither here nor there. That idea of we'll sit in this classroom for these three years and learn everything we assume we're going to need and then go try it. As opposed to, as, as Jed is saying, I read the I read the recipe and then I give it a shot. And this bread, I, those, I got those pages stuck together. <laughs> this bread has a lot of beef in it, and that's not the way that's supposed to go. Beef but bread. now I know. And beef bread sounds slightly delicious. But there's uh, the the life as God as we all live it as we've tried in ministry is a lot more trial and error, a lot more experimenting, a lot more being out there. And there's nothing to be scared of. That just takes a little extra, as I put in the blog post about this that came out today. That does take a little extra faith and leaning on God, and as Glenn would often put it, maybe that's a little bit of the point. Mm-hmm. And we'll move on to our next question here. It came in anonymously, and it says, Hey guys, this feels a little Seinfeldy, but what's the deal with rebuking? I suspect the original word describes more of a gentle heads up about a future pain in a one-on-one than, say, standing outside the faith healer's venue with a bullhorn. The success rate on the ladder probably non-existent as it pushes people to dig it even harder. And of course, that fake preacher already knows he's faking it. So what's the what's it actually about? And what's the proper use of rebuking for anyone who's not legalistic Jed? And for an answer to that, we start off with not legalistic Jed. We go to regular Jed. Oh, that's a disappointment. <laughs> I was all geared up to be legalistic. <laughs> I mean, if, as the spirit moves. Well, um, you know what? In, in Can tr- you do legalistic Seinfeld? <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with your sin? Who are these people that sin? <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to work on legalistic Seinfeld. That that is epic. We all are. All right. Meanwhile, let's actually let's go so far away from legalistic Jed. Let's not even use the word rebuke for a second. Let's let's pull the camera way way back. Somebody's doing something that's going to cause a problem. We need to help them find a way to stop doing that thing. That's it. That's that's all we're talking about. Um, we can use the word rebuke or not. We can use the word confront or not. Doesn't really make a difference. But here's why I'd like us to begin there. If we don't have a sense of the goal of this interaction, we can't possibly achieve it. Yep. And most people, when they're thinking of rebuking someone in the name of a holy God, they have no idea what outcome they he want to He snuck through, y'all. He snuck through. <laughs> I mean, here, here's what I find most of the time. It, like, this is uh, maybe a year and a half ago now. Literally, a dude I know on Facebook begins a post, I can keep silent no longer. If you begin, if your opening statement is I can keep silent no longer, you don't have a goal. There's not an outcome you're looking to achieve. You just want to vent your spleen and and rage openly. And here's the thing, and this needs to be said, is... That may make sense. You may be dealing with a knuckleheaded behavior where being super upset about it is a perfectly logical response. But what we need is a clear sense of the outcome that we're trying to achieve. 
so that we can figure out how to achieve it. If we don't have a sense of the outcome, we are lost from the get-go. That's that's thing number one. And again, around the time people are talking about rebuking, 99% of them have no idea of the outcome they actually want to see happen. That's thing one. The next thing on it is if you have a sense of the outcome that you want to see happen, you can begin to think about what's the minimal amount of force necessary to achieve that outcome. Rebuking, correcting, confronting, they're they're all flavors of the same thing. And in a sense, you are bringing force to bear against another human being. It it may be um, in the words that you use, it may be the thrust of your speech, uh, but you are introducing an element of aggression against another human being. That That's the fundamental nature of what you are doing. What is incumbent upon you, if you want to be godly about it, is to use the minimum possible level of force and aggression necessary to achieve that goal. And what might kind of, you know, fry your brain a little bit, it certainly has for me through the years, is if you have a good sense of the goal, you'd be shocked how little force and aggression can be necessary to get that job done. I have to rebuke people pretty regularly. Um, We have, we work with a very specific population of people and we have folks show up for the bridge service uh, high and drunk all the time. And I literally have to kick people out of church on a semi-regular basis. But I'd say if I'm doing my job right, about three quarters of the people I am rebuking don't even know they're being rebuked. We've just redirected their actions in the direction we need it to go without them even thinking through the fact that technically someone just used some force and aggression against them. That's what you want. That's that's a good thing. I'll give you a quick case study in this. So um, my wife is um, a total badass. And after she was in the army, she worked private security and she was um, overseeing security at a hospital. And so at hospitals, there's a lot of people who misbehave. That's actually a really common thing. And so um, a number of the junior security staff had a situation and they this happened more than once where there's somebody really just having a meltdown and they're getting in there and, and these are our younger people and they're they're trying to be all tough so it's a lot of barking orders and whatnot and everything's getting worse and everything's problematic and so finally they don't want to but they call for backup and so Hallie walks down and the moment Hallie walks in the room the person calms down they stop the meltdown the moment she walks in the room. And the reason, of course, is because Hallie has a lot of training and knows how to project through her body language, I am in charge here. Therefore, we're all going to behave ourselves. You have an ability to do something similar. You have an ability with shockingly little to say, shockingly little to do, to make it clear to someone, we need a change. There's a thing you're doing and we need a change. And as long as they're willing to make that change and join you, that's a successful rebuke. It's a successful correction. It's a successful confrontation. It doesn't need to be anything more complicated than that. There are very, very rare specialized situations where other factors are in play, but most of the time we want to keep it as close to that as possible where they're barely even aware they've been corrected, but we got the outcome that we needed. That's the stuff that matters. That's absolutely right. That's a fantastic place to kick us off. And we'd love to get you here. I think another um, misconception people may have who've not had to do a lot of this is that rebuking is just kind of this switch you turn on. You're just going through your life and then it's rebuke time. And then sometimes it's not. And I think as Jed is pointing us to this does, if you want to be able to do this well, it does need to be part of a little more of a holistic strategy, right? Yeah, totally. I I think this is one of those interesting things in the kingdom where 
you definitely find this in the scriptures. You definitely sometimes done poorly, sometimes done well. It's definitely part of uh, people living in community together. But it's one of these things that's dependent on a whole lot of other stuff being healthy and in bounds. So I, I, I would simp- like most simply ask it this way. Whoever is doing the rebuking, have you earned the right to do anything like that in anyone's life? Um, in, within the Christian context, we, we're supposed to have a, a community that looks and feels and acts a certain way. People are supposed to be uh, kind to each other. They're supposed to be open and humble, and they are supposed to treat each other with respect. They're supposed to encourage one another all the time, kind of build people up according to their gifts, kind of fill in gaps. That's how people work as a body. Now, it makes sense that within something like that, every now and then, in that kind of community, I'm going to get some kind of course correction, and I'm going to have to give some kind of course correction to different folks around me. And the question is, um, do we have the, the, the healthy system of encouraging each other, of knowing what everybody brings to the table, of filling in gaps, of being open and vulnerable and working together and praying for each other and, you know, serving together, that kind of thing to where, you know, if I need to, uh, to bring this kind of gentle, gentle course correction, exactly as Jed's talking about, that it makes sense within that context because we have all these other structures in place in a healthy way. In other words, we have a healthy relationship dynamic so that if I need to say something, it makes sense in that context because we're doing a whole lot of life together and we're doing a whole lot of ministry together. We're doing a whole lot of reaching out together and we're praying for each other, encouraging each other, all that kind of stuff. So we have earned the right to have some of these conversations. What happens sometimes in Christian culture is we don't have any of that stuff set up in a healthy way, and you just got somebody that feels like it's their spiritual gift to go around and rebuke folk. Like, just tell everybody, this is what it is. This is what you're going to do. This is how this is going to be. Without any kind of earning the right to be heard, without any kind of healthy relationship dynamics, without any good boundaries, without any of the stuff that makes sense to where this would... to where this would apply, to where you would have the right to do this. And so I think that's what we want to look at as well, is are we in a situation where we've got healthy stuff in place, where we've got good structures, where this kind of thing, this kind of course correction, this kind of critique, this kind of uh, you know gentle rebuke or whatever you want to call it, just as Jed said, where that makes sense, where it fits, where it's going to be well-received, or is it just somebody that feels like, you know, they have the spiritual gift of prophecy and they just get to rebuke everybody? This is the kind of thing that we're looking for. We need to make sure that the whole environment is is healthy. And within those boundaries, it's one of those things that's like, it's not going to be that big of a deal when it happens because the whole system is so healthy as it is. Absolutely. Glenn, I'd love to get you to, to close this out here. I think Lee points towards a very important issue that we may have uh, skipped over on this, which is... There's this person asked what rebuking is and how you do that well, which is a very important question. I want to thank both Jed and Lee to good job on. Then there's the reality that a lot of church people just like holler it. Yeah. And at some point they heard the word rebuke. Yeah. And they said, aha, that sounds like church approved hollering. <laughs> yeah. And I can get in on that. So how do we break out of this idea of, I think as, as Lee points out, the idea that somebody does bad thing. I, as a righteous person, 
um, yell at them about bad thing until they stop doing it. Right. Um, it's a wonderful fantasy for us all. And yeah. We all engage in. That's A, not what rebuking is, and B, probably not all that helpful. So what do we put in place of that? Well, uh, this is a simple idea, simple principle. You can, you can use this moving forward. It's going to help you a lot in your walk. Undoing evil is not the same thing as doing good. Undoing evil is not the same thing as doing good. We can get confused about that. A lot of what you hear Christians talk about, a lot of what you see on the news or what you see on social media is, there is evil, we need to stop it. Okay, we need to do something about it. Of that, we, we have no doubt. But if we undo it, we haven't done anything good yet. Uh, the idea that we just need to stop evil wherever it exists, we do need to be aware that's, that's, a, that's an endless battle there. There's no point where we arrive and we've defeated evil. Now we're in a Christian paradise. That's not, that's not a way to live. So uh, we can be obsessed with this idea of looking around and seeing all the things that are wrong with the world and say, I need to undo all of that. That's my mission in life. That's actually what is uh, a, that's what a fundamentalist is. That's what a legalistic person is. That's actually what the Pharisees were. And that's actually what Jesus rebuked, was this attitude of, you guys walk around and you just point and go, ooh, sin, ooh, sin, ooh, look at you. You're doing a sin. Stop it. You have to stop it because I said so. And I speak for the Almighty, so you, you're a bad person. Uh, so we, uh, we may be fully justified in saying this is actually a sinful thing. This is someone who's being a crook. He's ripping people off. He's preaching bad doctrine, all of that kind of stuff. But it doesn't really change the fact that the motion of that is, is, is the same motion, if you want to put it that way. Uh, Paul used uh, a phrase, uh, and I, I want to quote it to you directly. He's, he's talking about, uh, he, he's saying, I could tell you what to do because I'm uh, you know, above you in the Lord. I'm your elder brother. I'm your, your spiritual father. So I could order you what to do, but he says this, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, that phrase kind of sticks mm. in my mind of that's, that's what I'd rather do. I, I can tell you that you're doing something wrong, but I'd rather uh, uh, appeal to you on the basis of love. That word appeal actually comes up a lot in the New Testament uh, and it's based on a word, uh, parakaleo, and that word uh, comes up even more often than appeal does. In other words, it's translated into other English words. But the parakaleo is a, is a good word. I don't know if we've mentioned it on the podcast. I think we may have, because it's that common. But uh, para is like parallel, to come alongside. Kaleo is, if you hear that kind of rhyming with calling, that's what that's what that word means, is to is to speak the words of God appealing and calling out and, and, and making his case of this is what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. But the para is to come alongside somebody. Mm-hmm. It's not to get a bullhorn, as you say, and yell at them. It's to come alongside of them. That's why we say appeal instead of yelling a firm word of, you know, you are a bad person. Uh, the this this word uh, parakaleo is uh, you would hear if you've heard the word paraclete that's where that comes from but it's this idea of 
um, contending for someone. It's this idea of encouraging someone and calling them to their higher self, exhorting them, all that kind of stuff. Uh, over and over again, Paul says, this is what I want to do. This is my appeal that I'm making to you. He used, we, we, we use the word appeal in, in, that, in a legal sense, as a, in terms of what would happen in a court of law, the way Pericleia would be. Uh, so that's what we want you to do, is appeal to others on the basis of love. Final point, very quickly, bad doctrine has a temporary appeal. People are drawn to it because they have an emotional problem they're, they're dealing with, they're, they're having some sort of struggle, and they get lost in the, the fervor of this, this uh, you know, they're caught up in all the emotionality of this bad doctrine, what's going on with it, and all of that. But the emotions of that pass, and whatever pain or grief has brought them to that bad doctrine will pass, and eventually they come off of that. So we we need to not be dismayed by what we see, but to help plant seeds for people to get out of that maybe a little sooner and to be more comfortable with coming to us when they do. Absolutely. That is all really fantastic stuff about the reality of rebuking, about why it's, it's the actual way that's supposed to be used. But now... For balance, for an opposing viewpoint, okay, we go to a minute with legalistic Jed. I'm. <laughs> I would like to say that I'm grateful to be here, but given the <laughs> circumstances of my arrival, it's it's difficult to say that. I'd, That's I'd like how most of our guests feel. Don't feel bad. Address a few words to our question asker because I believe that a bit of a rebuke is in order. <laughs> um, I have been re- reviewing this Seinfeld program mm, that yeah. you reference and um brother for the good of your soul <laughs> i must insist that it is time for your media preferences to change uh, this is a show that is rife with immorality and is not honoring uh to there, our lord there's a bit of potty humor in there um yes i, I think I, I know which episode legalistic jed may have sampled i don't approve of the word potty but were <laughs> i to i would agree with your assessment <laughs> Um, I'm certain that you justify your choices, um, under the guise of laughter and surely you need levity in your life. The question this Christmas season, uh, that I would have you consider is, are your ha ha laughs worth the tears of the baby Jesus? <laughs> okay. Someone quickly put legalistic Jed back in the closet. That's, That's... been a minute with legalistic Jed and he never disappoints folks. <laughs> Your laughter worth the tears of the baby Jesus. I felt good about that. Yeah, that's yeah, really that was, good. That, was all that right. is the underlying message to so many Christmas time sermons. <laughs> <laughs> One quick thing before we wrap this up. Uh, these guys gave you a whole ton of good stuff, and that'll give you two two hundred points if you want to chat with the blog post on this that went up last week. It is titled "What's the Deal with Rebuke?" You can check that out at thebridgechicago.tumble.com or on our Facebook page. Find a link to that. But to uh, to uh, piggyback on Glenn's Greek, the actual word that's translated rebuke in most of the places is a compound word that in the little translation, you check this out for yourself in Bible Hub, it says, to honor, to mete out due measure, hence to censure. I, I think that uh, due measure is the thing that jumped out to me when I was looking at that. I was looking at some other stuff on the word here, because a lot of this is about proportion, as these guys are saying. Yes. Um, guy with the bullhorn on the corner, there's no due measure to that, because that isn't anything. Sure. That's not doing good or bad. That's just someone who wants attention to give them attention. That's not rebuking. That's just getting in a fight on same goes for on Twitter or whatever. Now as, as we've experienced, like Jed is saying, someone who comes to our bridge service who we have a relationship with 
who's shown up in bad state that week, it's it's due measure. It is well weighed out to pull them to the side and say, we can't have you doing that here. You need to go home and sleep it off. That's what's best for them. That's certainly what's best for our service. Yeah. That That's a, a realistic and a, a right proportion to go back to something we were talking about in the previous question on that. And one other thing, there's two instances in Mark 10 where that word comes up and it's, you'd be shocked to know, people who aren't Jesus trying to do rebuking and totally screwing it up. <laughs> Verse of Mark 10, 13, you've probably heard the story. So, you know, with the come to Jesus as a little child, that starts with people trying to bring little children to Jesus and the disciples rebuking them. Woo! Didn't go great. Later on, that same, later on in that same chapter, there's, is the, where they're walking on the roadside and there's a blind man calling out to Jesus and all the people rebuke him because they're uncomfortable with someone yelling out to Jesus. So if you're wondering what's the line between a good rebuking and a bad rebuking, a great place to always start is ask God if he actually wants this rebuked. Because there's all sorts of stuff I want rebuking people that's all about me having a hang of about it and 0% about God actually being against it. That's not rebuking. That's just yelling at someone because they pushed a button in your own weirdness, which we all have. But as these guys, as Glenn's pointing out, to put the churchiness on top of that and try to make that holy, that's when you get into a whole big mess of trouble. We'll move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, Hi, I was reading a book by a Christian author that said impatience is a sin. Is that true? And Lee, why don't you kick us off? Uh, probably not super helpful to think of it that way. I, I don't know. I think it's probably at least way too simplistic to try to figure out, is this a sin or is it not a sin? But just for ju- just to kind of get our heads around this question, let's just say for simplicity's sake, it is. Okay, let's say that impatience is a big, fat, horrible, dirty sin. Um, then I think the way that I would think about that is, uh, let's think about it the way you would think about any sin. Um, take it to Jesus, be honest about it, confess it to him without any shame or guilt, and then ask him for some wisdom. Hey, I was super impatient. This is the thing that happened. Um, I'm confessing that to you. Hey, the next time that I come into this situation, can you give me some wisdom for how I should handle this next time? I want to come up with some strategies. I want to come up with some some ideas as to how I can do this better next time. That's really the best way to handle kind of any sin that you're dealing with. I think that one thing that happens a lot of times with with Christian stuff and with Christian folks is that we're so freaked out about sin and sinning um, in ways that that I don't think the Lord wants us to be hung up in, in the sense that he paid for sin. Um, he paid for all of it. He paid for all of it without any question, and um, he is dealing with it, you know, with us and with our sin and our lives and everything. But the way that he wants us to handle it is to come to him, confess it, and get some wisdom so that we can handle this thing better next time. Um, this is the way that we should handle really anything. I don't know if I can come down on whether or not impatience is a sin, but it, let's say if it was, let's just go to the Lord and talk to him about it. Talk to him about it honestly. Talk to him about the way that you felt. Talk to him about the way that whatever that situation was, that stimulus, that that thing that happened to you, that circumstance that led to that. Just talk to him about it and and uh, and listen and wait Talk to some friends that you trust who have a great walk with the Lord and get some ideas and strategies for how they handle the same kind of a situation. And let's see if we can come up with a tactic or a strategy to do this thing differently next time. I think that's about the the best way that you could handle whatever sin that you're dealing with, whether or not impatience is a black and white, up, down, yes or no sin. 
let's just go to Jesus, deal with it with honesty, and ask for some wisdom. Absolutely right. I think it's a great place to start off. And I think Lee's absolutely right that sin or not sin may not be the best way to frame this, just because that's a way that can lead to a lot of guilt. And that idea of if you're feeling impatient, that is going to lead to some problems in your life, and schmearing guilt on top of that probably isn't going to help. But Glenn, let's let's look at this in the context of something we talk about uh, a lot in that the larger sense of what sin actually means. As, as right. Lee is talking about, you know, list of good things and bad things, impatience is not helpful. But in that idea of right. uh, to go back to the Greek, the missing the mark. Impatience yeah. can definitely be a sin in that sense. That may help us understand why it has the effects it has. But yeah, it's it's crazy how loaded a word sin is, because it the way people often, I hear people talk about sin, it's like, whoa, don't throw that sin word around, because it's like, that's really extreme, whoa. And like, you know, you don't call something a sin unless it's really evil. Well, but as, as Matt's pointing out, that's not actually the way the Bible talks about sin or what it describes as sin. Sin is everything other than doing what God tells you to do, and most of us are setting most of the time based on that <laughs> yeah. thinking. So, you know, the, the, the idea of like, whoa, I'm, I'm on a hot streak here. You can't put the S word in this uh, conversation. That's, that's a little, uh, you know, off the mark. Uh, so we we need to, as as Matt is suggesting, readjust the way we think about sin. Definitionally, um, if God is calling you to be patient in your situation, doing anything or thinking or feeling anything else is a sin. That's that's by definition what it is. That's missing the mark. But if God is calling you to act on a situation, as opposed to being patient about it, then doing anything other than acting on that situation is a sin. If, you, if God says, it's time for this to change, something needs to be done, get off your behind and go and do. And if you say, I just right now, I just want to pray for patience. To just, nope. Just, just really be comfortable with hanging out and doing nothing. Then that's a sin. So the answer is yes and no, like all questions about is this a sin or not. Uh, but the, the, the idea here is we're letting God call the shots on that. Uh, a book cannot specify that to you <laughs> at all. If you had a, a pastor that was working through you with this, or if you're working through it in prayer, you can make a, a, a more custom fit to your situation call as to what God is calling you to do in this moment, whatever the circumstances that you're dealing with. But here's the thing. We love a loophole. Oh, I love a loophole. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, if you get a loophole, it's like, because you know, I'm looking for them all the time. Now I'm getting away with it. Yeah. And here's the thing about a book, a Christian book. What does that guy know? And, you know, he doesn't speak for Jesus. And that verse made me feel icky. And or that, or that part of the book made me feel icky, so... Maybe that isn't it, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I can I can question it because it's just a book, man. It's a stone cold opinion. That's right. And this is uh, we that that means everything is loopholeable that you're reading in a book. This is uh, part of the reason why we're we're often trying to urge people let's get into wisdom directly from from the Lord again through Scripture, or wise counsel, or prayer, and further away from a book that just can't be specific to your situation. Uh, I don't know whether God is calling you to be patient with your current situation or whether he's calling you to get off your behind 
and and go after this and deal with it and take it on as a challenge. Uh, but God is ready to be clear with you on that. And uh, and if you're struggling with taking on whatever God's calling you to do that, you're in very good company, because everyone on this podcast experiences that and feels that. If we want to call that a sin, if we want to whatever it is, we could do that, but it's it's a common condition for everybody on this podcast. We're with you. We got your back in this. Yeah. A lot of a lot of great stuff there, and I think Jed, I think all these guys are right that uh, this is the uh, if sin, not a sin. It's maybe not the best framing here, yeah. Because as Glenn points out, when you declare something a sin, that kind of feels like there's no now what. It's, yeah, yeah. Impatience is a sin. Don't be impatient. Yeah. Well, you're going to be impatient. So let's look at the uh, maybe right. the much more helpful, what do I do when I feel impatient? Hey, Amen. That's a great question. Well, so for me, True Confessions, I find trying to be in tune and in step with God's timing to be one of the hardest things in life. Say that. I'm always trying to go slower or faster, sometimes both in the same day, than what he wants on every situation in my life. Yeah. The best I've been able to come up with is as much communication as possible. Mm-hmm. Um talk this thing through, talk it through again tomorrow, talk it through again the day after that. If you're blessed to have a pastor or mentor in your life with whom you can be honest and they know what's up, um, you should be talking with them regularly too. But communication, again, both between you and the Lord and between you and a pastor or mentor, if that's something that you have access to, um, that's the best I've ever been able to come up to on on how to to keep in step. But I think there are a couple other things that, that should be said briefly on this. The first is, I don't, I'm about to uh, offer a guess. I don't know that this is the case, but I have a suspicion. You said that you were reading a book by a Christian author, and it said that impatience was a sin. Was this a book that was telling you that you're bad to hate being single? Hmm. Hmm? Maybe it was part of the very popular Everything is a Sin series. Yeah, because here's, here's what happens with Christian leaders when they hear a complaint that they don't have a good solution for. Well, that's a sin. That's pretty much how that goes. If you're a pastor and you have a room full of young, unmarried people who can't figure out how to get together, and they're always coming to you and saying, I'm lonely and I'm unhappy and I'm tired of being single, and you know it feels like I just can't get anything going— you as a pastor, you're trying to figure out what to say, and maybe you don't have a good answer. And the thing that people default to is, well, the way you feel's a sin. Okay, I don't know that that's what's going on here, but it wouldn't surprise me. So let's let's inject a little bit of sanity for a second. First is, uh, feelings don't have a moral component. Feelings are neither right nor wrong. They're neither good nor bad. Uh, they, they come upon you unbidden. That is how feelings work. What you do with them can certainly be sinful, yeah. but uh, the feeling itself is neither good nor bad. That's There are not holy feelings, which is another thing that would be great for the church to get a hold uh, of. Uh, Jed's outraging everyone on every side now. Uh, feelings are not moral in one direction or another. It's just what you do with them. Impatience, then, if it's a sin, it can't be the feeling of impatience, because that that's not capable of being right or wrong. What could be a sin, to go back to what Glenn said, is God is directing me to um, take patient actions, and I am choosing to take impatient actions. I am choosing to rush things that God has directed me in my specific life to take slowly. Well, that would be impatience, and in that particular case, that would be a sin, 
But that's not about feelings. That's, that's about actions, man. That's about decisions that you're making. How you feel is how you feel. It makes sense. Whatever it is, you come by it honestly. On a closing thing, in case I'm right that this is a book about dating and singleness and, you know, you should just be fine how you are. <laughs> if, if you're wondering, should I make a move and try and push my dating life forward? For most of the people that we know, in most situations, most of the time, the answer to that question is yes. There are exceptions to that. That doesn't apply to everybody in all situations at all times. But if you're wondering what are the odds, the odds are you would probably be healthier and happier if you were to push that faster rather than hanging back and waiting for things to happen. I'm going to pitch my next idea for a Christian book, which we often pitch on the show, which is stop bugging pastor with your <laughs> questions by a number of pastors. I think, you know, the sales to the bookstores are going to be pretty low. But I think the odds of large membership churches buying up large numbers of copies to hand out is pretty good. Yeah. I think the, the one, one last thing I would tack on this is uh, we're talking about, is this a sin or not? The one thing we're not talking about, and this is a, a point Glenn brings up quite often, is, is this a virtue or not? Yeah. Because we know that patience is a virtue. Yeah. Uh, it's in Galatians 5, listed as a fruit of the Spirit. If you have a different translation, it may say uh, forbearance or long-suffering, but that's that's patience. That's the word. Um that is good. As Glenn points out, there's this weird kind of almost meta idea of a Christianity. It kind of goes back to where we started uh, looking at kind of um, doing and being. It's Christi a Christianity that is viewed as trying to re remove the largest number of bad things. Right. Or a Christianity that's trying to have the good things. Because it's the funny thing about impatience is you, there's not really such thing as getting rid of impatience. There is adding right. patience. Right. So this, and that's again, why we, we look, we kind of rejected that sin framing say, well, I am impatient. That must be sinful. As Jed points out one impatience is a feeling. That's really not a great way to look at it in general, but also is where at least our thought, if it is, that's, you're just kind of screwed. Right. That's I right. feel impatient. It's a sin. There's literally nothing you can do about that right. to get rid of your impatience because, and again, to, to, uh, count, to piggyback on Judge Prophecy there, what that would almost certainly mean is still not doing anything, but just feeling fine about it. Well, you better hurry up and get rid of your impatience. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's really, we're, we're just uh, piling problem on top of problem yeah, here. That's right. Now, is impatience a thing that is not often in, in line with God's plan for your life? It can super screw up your life. As folks who uh, visit people in jail quite often where the story involves with, well, I waited, and then I stopped waiting, and then I did something, and now I'm here. <laughs> uh, a su super duper, that could be a problem, but as and less thinking of things as I need to get rid of X bad thing, and I need to get more of good thing that God wants to give me into my life. Because a lot of times, if you're, if you're stuck on something, if you're looking for a different way to look at it, that's a good place to start looking for a different perspective. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. And again, as of about two weeks ago, which for those of you keeping score at home is six and a half years into doing this show, you can scroll down the episode description <laughs> and find those links. It is the Christmas season. Can't you just feel the joy? Yeah. Because of that, we're going to take out the Christmas song. This is from our sister program, The Bridge Loud, featuring our friend Perthshire's own Lynn's Honeyman, 
This is an awesome bluesy take on a way to major take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, send the meat and or pastries of your land to P.O. Box 316 of Forest Park, Illinois, 60130. Norway is winning. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lays down his sweet head. Stars in the sky Look down where he lay The little Lord Jesus Asleep on the hay They were singing